Welcome, everyone, to Authors on the Air. I'm your host, Pam Stack. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. My guest right now is, like many writers, has been an avid reader all her life. Uh, From as long as she can remember, she walked around with a book in her hand. Uh, Michelle Dreyer, who is my guest tonight, um, has memories of her maternal grandmother being in a writing club. She wrote poems and jingles. So... It isn't surprising that Michelle's first job was in journalism, where she was a staff writer for the San Jose Mercury News, which is a paper I'm familiar with, one that I often read. Um, She fell into her second career as a nonprofit administrator uh, and then went back to newspapers where she was an executive editor for daily newspapers and worked with legal organizations serving roughly 10,000 senior citizens in Alameda County. She is a member of the Society of California Pioneers, Sisters in Crime, and she is also the co-chair of next year's VoucherCon. I'm pleased to introduce Michelle Dreyer. Hi, Michelle. How are you? I'm fine, Pam. It's delightful to talk to you. Thank you. I think the last conversation we had was at Boucher and St. Pete when we did open mic, and you were one of the first ones to sit down, and it was so good to finally meet you in person, because we've been doing this, you know, social media chat for a while. Um, exactly, how, yeah. Welcome back from Dallas, and um, I'm I'm sure that each conference coordinator learns something that they have to do for the next one. Did that happen to you? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. There were seven of us from Sacramento who went down to Dallas to help out and take notes, and we're getting together in about two weeks with these volumes of notes saying, okay, now did you do this? Did you notice that? We have to change this. So it's it's a moving target, and so actually yes. the doors open. The thing is that every it changes location to location um just on the logistics alone because of the of the city the weather mm-hmm. where the ho- where the hotel is located at so um mm-hmm. you've got so many different things to keep in mind that it really does take a village to create a conference doesn't it it absolutely does we have a we have a core group of about 18 volunteers and we've been meeting for the last four years wow and wow now of course we start meeting once a month but you know we've been meeting we've been in touch with uh my co-chair and i have been in touch i don't know, we probably we probably either email or talk four or five times a week um, wow and it's just you know, keeping keeping in touch is a really it's a real team effort it has to be well, I remember when I spoke to you at one of the BoucherCon board meetings, um, you have uh, nonprofit experience. And so co- knowing how to coordinate meetings and how to present events is a really part of your wheelhouse anyway. Um, and so I bet you're finding those tools very useful now. I am. I am. Uh, as a matter of fact, we're probably going to be looking at a, at a different kind of accounting system, which is designed for nonprofits. It's called fund accounting because right. a nonprofit doesn't have profit or loss. It just is. Right. You know, money comes in, right. money goes out. It's just tracking where it goes. So I'm starting to investigate some of the things about 
finding a decent software program that we could use. So I'm doing some of that stuff, but with, with our VoucherCon on the horizon, not quite a year away, I'm pulling back a little bit from the board stuff and trying to focus more on the day-to-day, you know, oh, my God, did we really order enough T-shirts? Oh, Lord, who's bringing the book back? You know, all that kind of stuff. No, oh, I know. It's, yeah. It sounds silly, but the fact of the matter is all your volunteers have to have a T-shirt. Um, at least most everybody buys a T-shirt to take home with them. Right. It's absolutely critical to have a T-shirt. You know, that's part of the experience of conferencing. And you've got to have enough swag to give away, enough books to give away. So you've got your hands full with some what mo- people might assume are silly details like having water available for all of your, your guests, you know, and and so on and, and transportation and being able to point people where to go outside of just the confines of the hotel. So you know that you have the network on board with you, whatever we need to do. But today we're here to talk about your new book, Stain on the Soul. So um, our book, our book, our book review team loved this book. They thought it was so unusual that they had never read anything like this before. So um, let's talk about Staying on the Soul. Would you give us a little, kind of the elevator pitch? Sure. Um, Rosalind Duke has been a stained glass artist for years, but she doesn't make cute butterflies. What she does is massive installation pieces, and she's internationally known. She's married to a man who is an art historian at UCLA, and they have this idyllic life until one day the cops knock on her door and tell her that Winston's been shot. And she's going, what, what, what? It all And she turns out to be a person of interest because he's shot in a place where they don't normally go. It's a mall, and it's not a mall mm-hmm. that they usually go to. So she's somewhat questioned by the, by the LAPD. And she decides after about six months that she just has to get out of L.A. So she moves to this tiny little town on the Oregon coast where she can do her, her major um, uh, commissions and also has a sideline of kits that you can take home that you can make yourself. And she's carving this life out, and she's doing fine. And she comes back from the beach one day from walking her dog, and there are lights and sirens all over, bouncing off the fog. The guy across the street from her is being carried out on a, in a body bag, and this, of course, is a no-no because the cops can't do this. In a plastic bag is one of her caming knives, the knives that she used to cut the lids. And she's going, oh, my God. How did I do this again? Why am I, why am I going to be looked at again as a possible murder suspect? So she ends up getting in, very much involved with this tiny little town, meets a man who is also interesting and interested in finding out who this murder victim is. Nobody knows. They, they've seen him for years, but they don't know who he is. And so the mystery is, who is this guy? Why was he murdered? Why was he living there, and why was he murdered? So she works with this man named Liam, Liam Karstner, and Liam is a retired journalist who is also who also writes uh, science fiction books, and he's trying to write a nonfiction book on pedophilia in the priesthood. So he's got all kinds of interests as well. So I just it just kind of came to me. I had I was raised on the north coast of California. I love the ocean. I love the beach. It just seems like a 
underneath the quiet solitude of having the waves and the ocean and the beach, there's still horror. There's still murder. There's still anger. There's angst. And that's what I try and do in most of my books is look at that. I don't write thrillers, but I look at why things happen. I try and figure out how these people get caught in these situations that are so foreign to what they normally do. You know, um, your prior books um, are the Kandesky Vampire Chronicles, and so this Uh is a departure for you to be writing. I I mean, you have other books, too. I know that. Um, But but you have quite a series built up for the Vampire Chronicles book. Why did you decide... Why did you decide to go in a different direction with this book? Well, I started out initially, my first book was a mystery, and that's my first series. Uh, The protagonist is a newspaper editor. And my son-in-law said, why don't you write a vampire book? And I said, I've never read a vampire book. And he said, go in and look at the size of the vampire section in a bookstore and then look at the size of the mystery. Because <laughs> this was a few years ago. And, I said, and then he said, tell me why you can't write a vampire. I went, okay. So I read some Charlene Harris. I read some Jim Butcher. I read some Karen Monning. And I thought, these are, these are basically romances. I probably could write those. So I started down that. And lo and behold, that is a lot of fun. They're just because they're pure fantasy. And these yeah. guys are richer than Midas. They own the world's. They've cornered the everything on international gossip. Right. I'm sorry. Right. They they own everything and they're wonderful. I I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so I've got ten of those out, and I really like them. And I actually have a fan club for for that genre that I'm writing. But I I still come back to my sort of first love, which is mystery. I love puzzles. I do you know yes. I do crossword puzzles and. and I do, puzzle, you know, actually puzzle puzzles, and I love uh-huh. to figure stuff out. And the Kandinsky's are wonderful, and they all have some current affairs in them. The most recent book, which I published in, in uh, December, it has to do with Crimea and the Russian incursion in Crimea. So it's not that they're all just, you know, mindless. They're, they're, they're doing things in the current world, too. And those are fun. Um, but mysteries are just... I don't know. There, there's something about putting together. There's something very satisfying about putting together an answer, and I think that's why I came back to the mysteries. So um, we're talking about the Ann Hobbs newspaper mysteries, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah. when when you sit down to write a book, because this is this stain on the soul is uh this is a standalone right now, unless you choose to continue it with, with this character. But um, are you thinking about an idea for a what if, or are you thinking about a who before you start writing? I pretty much go off of what if that's one of the things that I always work with my reporters when I was an editor. Um, Mm -hmm. I would say, you know, have you, have you looked at what if this happened and aren't you curious about that? And so I like the, what if, what, what is the, um, if you could design, uh, your most perfect house, say, what would it be? And that's, that's a question you have to think about. You have to come up with some ideas around that. And I really like developing the what if. So it's not so much the who's I never even, well, that's not true. I have almost finished a couple of the mysteries and not even known who, who, who the murderer was. So I, I'm always, I'm always fascinated by the, the way that writers write. 
So I know your first draft is kind of you get a bunch of stuff on the paper and then you, you just go through and edit it. And probably most of it's going to, you know, going to stay, but a lot of it's going to go. But um, do you at all write out of order, like out, out of chapter order, or do you know where your book is going to end up and then you work backwards to make it work there? So how does um, it work for you? Well, for me, and it's really interesting because I'm in like three different critique groups and all of us write differently. I'm a real pantser. And when I start a book, I know what's going what's gonna to be the um, instigation and where it's going to end up. And that's all I know. And I just write sequentially. I never go back and add things in. Well, let me rephrase that. I go back and make sure the characters' names stay the same because it's a little right. unnerving. That, well, yeah. just your um, editing but, portion you're talking about, right, but you don't change the basic I, story. No, no, no. Uh, what happens is that, you know, it's kind of, I always liken it to going down a freeway. You know, you get on the ramp and you get on a freeway and you're headed to L.A., say, you know, which is 450 miles away. But, my God, there are all these little shortcuts and detours and side roads sure. that you can take to get there. And sure. that's what happens. I have characters that just pop up in the middle of my books, and I don't know where they came from, but they're wonderful characters. So I put them in. And so, so do you ever go back on your edits and say, you know, it sounded great in the beginning, but it's not so great right now, and I, I need to get rid of this. <laughs> Does that ever happen? Not, not really, because what I, because of the way I write, because I don't plot things out. When I sit down to write, I go back and reread the last two or three chapters that I've written to make right. sure that I'm in that space and in that time and in those characters. And then, right. as I say, I'm that in makes sense. three critique groups. So, what we do is read as we go along. And usually if I'm getting somewhere off track there, one of my critique partners will say, you know, this is really not how I thought about um, Rosalind. She, this, she's acting in a way that is not natural to her. I think you need to look at that. And I go, oh, okay. You know, so it, come, it kind of comes from outside rather than inside. Yes. Which is just, you know. Do you like writing dialogue Actually, I do. <laughs> I never thought I would. I wrote for newspapers for so long where the dialogue is, is simply quotes. You know, it's not really a dialogue. Right. And I didn't, the first dialogue I wrote ever, this is years before I even started writing novels, I had a friend who said, do you, have you ever written a screenplay? And I said, oh, my God, no, of course not, of course not. And she said, wait a minute, we have possibly some money uh, tied up in Hollywood and we want a screenplay, screenplay about lesbians. And I went, oh, God. Not that, you know, I don't know much about them. But she said, it's got to be this and that and the other. So I started writing it. And that's when I realized that dialogue is what holds the entire book together. The dialogue is the moving force. You know, it's not, the it, description is nice and it helps you set the scene. But the dialogue is the action. It sure is. It's part of it. Um, do you ever read your dialogue out loud? To see how it sounds to your ear? I do. Not all of it, but I do, yeah, yeah. Particularly if it's looks like it's getting kind of lengthy. Like, mm, maybe that's too much. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I have said this before on the show that um, uh, dialogue can be a speed bump for me when I'm reading because mm -hmm. if all the characters sound the same, in other words, they use the same vocabulary, they're mm – -hmm 
sentence structure is the same. That kind of, you know, it's not setting apart the character. And nothing turns me off more than if I have to go back and figure out who's saying what. If it's, you know, even Mm -hmm. short sentences, but it's a, a dialogue sequence. And so if I have to say, well, wait a minute, who said that? Because it's not apparent. That to me is a, is a speed bump. I mean, and there are other things along the way, but, but I love dialogue so much. And I, I, I like the written word so much that there are times when I just read it out loud because it sounds so good to me. And, uh, you know, it, it obviously targets another part of your brain. That's why some people like listening to audiobooks. Um, I happen to like, I can't listen to an audiobook because I can't flip back pages. Yeah, I can even flip back in my Kindle, <laughs> but I can't, I can't flip back in an audiobook, you know. Uh, but, um, yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, there's nothing wrong with audiobooks. I'm, I just have never listened to one. And I'm, I, I just would rather read, but, um, I know that, Hearing something and reading it and then reading it out loud are all different experiences. So that's why I was curious. Um, yeah. Your time you're, you're as a, a journalist. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I didn't mean to. Interrupt. Yeah, I very much so. They're all. So your time as a journalist must have, especially because you're an editor, um, must have helped you in learning to write cleanly without an overabundance of words it did it did and i actually had an editor when i was at the mercury news that you write really tersely and i thought at first she was really slamming me and then i thought oh no wait a minute that's she's giving me a compliment well thank you you know um yeah it's it is because one of the things that i used to tell well i've got a story I, I hired a young one right out of Sac State, and she was brand new. Uh, and I caught her one day sitting outside smoking a cigarette, handwriting out on a yellow tablet something. And I said, what are you writing? And she said, I'm writing my lead. And I said, get your butt in there and on the computer. You sit down and you write your lead, which is you know, the first generally paragraph, before you even go out to interview anybody. How can I do sure. that? She said, you know, I said, if you don't know where you're going, you won't even know the questions to ask. Right, you need to have your who, what, where, why, and when, you know. <laughs> right, and, you, and, you need to have and all in the first paragraph. Right. right, right. You know, and then you can change it if you need it, but if you don't have an idea of where you're headed, forget it. You're going to come up with, you know, a collection of words, which is right. not good. Um, right, right, right. And, and it's but in newspaper, you're limited to column inches anyway, so you've got to make every word count. And I would imagine. Right that even though you have the liberty of doing a lot of narrative in your books, you also don't want readers to drift. So it it has to be relevant narrative, right? It, absolutely. I, I have, I have occasional small sections of chat just as a way of getting some of the characters known, but normally not at all. No, there's, it's, it's pretty definitive and pretty, pretty much to the plot. Yeah. That's, that's, it, it moves. It, Gives you an indication where the plot's going next. And I actually it. You are a very busy lady. You do a lot of different things. Um, are you a very dedicated writer? In other words, disciplined to the point where you sit down every day, or you you know you want to have X amount of hours put in, or X amount of pages or words. 
I, I wish I could do that. I would prefer to do that. But the way my life has been the last few years with BoucherCon and a bunch of other things, also I've taken on a few um, nonfiction-related editing and uh, uh-huh. teaching camps, which is always hard. Right. But I'm not as dedicated. However, if I can if I can figure out two or three days where I don't have to go out of the house for meetings, I can write 3,000 words a day. And those are the Ooh. days that just go, oh, my God, that's, it's just such a wonderful feeling. Because the story's there. It wants to come out. You know, and being so, able to have it come out. Yeah, and get it on paper. Mm-hmm, exactly, exactly. So what is writer's block? God, I don't know to tell you the truth, because I've, I've probably got ten books in my head that I need to get out, as well as three or four short stories. So if I, if I get stumped on one, I go to another. What I used to tell, well, what I used to tell my reporters was, if you get stumped on a story – Sit down and write anything, even if it's just a grocery list. But the simple act of putting words and letters on a page of some sort, either handwritten or on a computer, will help you do that. Something clicks in your brain when you start putting words on paper. And it doesn't necessarily – it not, may not be the right words. You may want to go back and throw them out. You may want to do whatever. But the simple act of doing that puts your brain in a different situation, I think. Oh, that's really good advice. Yeah, it's yeah. really good advice. Yeah. Um, I, I do you ever get stuck on stories? Do you ever? Or you said you have ten stories going on, and you know, ten books going on in your head at one time. How do you make the choice of which one you're going to write? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, kind of what I'm interested in, like this one, Roz. I've been thinking. I didn't know Roz, but I've been thinking about this one for probably three or four years, and I finally reached a point where I had. I, I still have a couple of books in the Amy Hobbs that I want to write, and I did uh-huh. have a standalone, Ashes of Memories, and the Kandinsky's right. were kind of caught up. I'd done number book number 10, and I thought, okay, now I'm going to try and write the, the Roz one. You know, it was going to be kind of a dark, cozy, and I'm not sure it's a cozy exactly because it doesn't quite fit that genre, but I, it's a traditional mystery, I guess, probably more than anything else. It is, a, but, it is, yeah. But, yeah, but when I... Uh, when I do that, you know, I've got a, like right now I've got a book that I probably will be, I don't know, maybe romantic suspense. I'm not quite sure. Uh, kind of a uh, mistaken identity. And uh-huh. I'm going to write that as a short story right now and see what it looks like. Because that one I think I would like to work on. That one sounds fun. I don't want it. Well, actually, I'm halfway through the second one of the Raw series. The next oh, one, this one I'm rolling it's, Will you write out of order? Of- Will you start a Roz book and then maybe go on to this romantic suspense book and then go back to Roz, or do you have to finish yeah, a book I'll, first? I have I have to finish a book, but I will certainly go out of order in terms of the actual serial series. Uh huh. You know, what I, mean? I, I could write I could write this next romantic comedy or whatever it's going to be, and then come back to the third Roz book, for instance. I see. But I see. I, I, try, I try to finish a book before I go on to the next one. So let me ask you this: Whose book are you currently reading? Oh my God! Well, I just finished, of all things, William Shar's radio broadcast from Berlin. And wow! If you don't think that's that's a scary topic. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, yep. Yep. And I just I, one one of the books that I just finished. The I, I well I don't read a lot of 
nonfiction, but I read some. What's called is called the Dreamt Land, and it's water, dust, and politics in California. It's somewhat narrow interest, but it's fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Um, and well, your your family has been in your family's been in California for a long time. I mean, oh, yes, I, yeah. I I had to laugh when you said, you know. My family migrated west in 1849, but never found any gold. I thought that was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> never, never bought much land either. <laughs> if they only known how expensive and, and property exactly. was in California, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, funny. And I will read almost anything that John Sanford writes. Anything. I oh yeah, him. he's great. Oh, yeah, he he's great. One, I've one been reading his books for years, so I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I finished the dressmaker's gift. I, I for some reason I'm still gravitating to World War II history and fiction. Um, wow. And that I thought was pretty good. Um, well, I I don't know if I ever told you, but I was actually married to a Holocaust survivor. I I did not know that. No. Yes. Wow. Wow. Um, So you have a natural inclination to reading those stories. Yeah. That whole thing fascinates me. That psychology of, and of course, personally, I think we're seeing some of it now, but that psychology of how a complete country can get hoodwinked. Just astounding. Well. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, let's not go there, okay? <laughs> no, 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 no. But but I get you. I I understand what you're saying. I I, I do. Um, I understand what you're saying. It's hard for me to read that type of book because it's so heartbreaking to me that I I it's hard for me to get through a book like that, and it's, um. It's- yeah. yeah, it it makes me ache all over, and um, so I I have a hard time reading. I can read fiction, but to reading the, you know, nonfiction is a is really difficult for me. Um, uh, you know, I I, I I snaps to you for being able to do it. It's just not in my wheelhouse. I'm I'm not built strong enough to yeah. do that. Um, Michelle. You are in the process of rebuilding your website, but I know that you're on social media. Will you tell us where, please? I'm on Facebook, and I have a fan page on Facebook. I have two two Facebook pages. I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on mm, Instagram. God, so much. So much stuff. So much stuff. It is so much. (laughs) Um, any, you want to give a shout out to any, you want to give a shout out to anybody for Bouchercon Sacramento? Give us the dates. The dates are October 15th through 18th, 2020. It's downtown Sacramento. There are two hotels. There's no main hotel because of, because of the size of them. Things are going to be taking place in both hotels. Everybody asks me which one has the better bar. I don't know. Both of them have bars (laughs) and they're both good. I've broken both of them. Um, Listen, we did this in Raleigh, so you f- you figure it out. It's not that big of a deal, it's, it's, you know. Yeah, it's, it's these are much closer than even in Raleigh they were. So yeah. you know, uh, yeah, it should be beautiful weather. It's always nice in October. Um, let's see what else. Our our uh, I don't know. The, one of the guests of honor is Scott Turow. Another one is Walter Mosley. Yes. Another yes. one is uh, Ann Perry. Another Kara Black from San Francisco. And yeah. our toast minister, oh, and Anthony Horowitz, 
is our international yep. guest of honor. I just just and, met him in uh, when oh. I was in London. So and he's a joy. He really oh. is a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good. I've not met him. I've read his book. Oh, he, oh, he's a, he's so much fun to interview. Um, I, I'll I did a video interview with him, and he's just a riot. He's a lot of fun. So oh, I, I think you'll yeah, audience is going to really enjoy meeting him. And um, you have you are still finalizing all of this. Where is the website? The website is going to be at my website or the or the Bouchercon website. The Bouchercon website. BoucherCon website is BoucherCon2020.org. There you and go. And it's on 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 uh, Facebook and Twitter and hmm, I can't remember what. There's also a national uh, BoucherCon website, although we're using right. our own at this point. You use your own, right? I think that's what they did for Dallas yeah. too. This is Michelle Dreyer. The book is called Stain on the Soul. I am so thrilled that you came back to the show and we got to speak for a little bit longer. And I'm sure as we get closer to BoucherCon, you and I will be speaking an awful lot. I really appreciate you stopping by tonight. I know that you're you're recovering from Dallas, and I want to thank you for taking your time to, to come and see me. I've absolutely enjoyed it. I always love talking to you, Pam. Thank you, Michelle. And I want to thank you, listeners. I hope that you go out and buy the book, leave a review. And thank you, Mom and Dad. I'll see you later. Okay.